All right, thank you again for uh, wonderful singing. It's always a joy. Um, and there was something I was supposed to say. I was down there going through all the things that are in my head and mind, and, and I know there's something I was supposed to say. All right. Um, hmm. Oh, well. They say if it's important, it'll come back. It'll probably come back mid-sermon. I promise I will not. Well, I, I don't promise. I, I will do my best not to bring it up in the middle of the sermon. All right. So we are continuing on our study of uh, Galatians. And uh, it has been a wonderful study. It has been. Uh, so at this particular point in the uh, sermon, the very beginning part, uh, I'm going to ask for your participation. You only have to say one word at a time, all right? But this is what I'm asking for. I'm going to ask you uh, just a couple questions, or actually three, so that would be a few. If you are confident that you know the answer, would you say it with confidence? If you are not confident with the answer, you can do what you like, okay? Uh, I mean, because, uh, uh, but I would say, I think you're going to be fairly confident uh, with the answers. I hope you are. Uh, but if not, that might, sh- that might mean something, and, and hopefully the sermon will uh, continue to answer as we go through. Here's question number one. Are good works necessary for salvation? Oh, whew. Okay. That's the right answer. Good job. All right, here we go. Is salvation completely by grace? Yes. Oh, not as loud. Not as loud. But that is the correct answer. Last question. Can there be any mixture of works and grace which brings salvation? No. no and I, even less. Folks, are you not confident this morning? All right. No, there we go. <laughs> Whoever that was. You're my friend. Okay. So, uh, no. There can be no mixture of works and grace when we're talking about salvation. And so we're going to, that's, that's just prepping the ground for us. Uh, there's many ways that we, ex, um, we learn and grow and communicate. We communicate through singing. We communicate through question and answer. We communicate through sermon. Uh, but with anything we communicate when it's related to God's word, it's the idea of, of uh, the purpose is growth. So based upon those questions, I think we can all agree salvation is all of grace and has nothing to do with good works. Salvation has nothing to do with good works in terms of earning it, right? It's all of grace. You are not standing declared righteous before God because of your good works. Although I depended on good works for a good portion of my young life to make me what I thought was going to make me look good in God's eyes. But we're going to, that's just kind of prefacing our, our comments here, our, our, the, the sermon that we're going to get to in Galatians. But we, before we get to the Galatians text, I want to say this is basically what's taught in Ephesians 2, uh, 8, 9. And we're also going to look at 10 here in a couple minutes. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is not Excuse me. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
we're familiar with this text. We go, I go to this text on a regular basis when I'm trying to help people understand the, the nature of grace and salvation. Uh, but we're told right from the beginning, it is by grace that we have been saved. People also often ask me, uh, Pastor, how, how did saints, you talk about Old Testament saints. How did Old Testament saints get saved? Uh, in a very real sense, the same way we are, by God's grace. We are all saved by grace. God's unmerited favor, God's gifting of something that we do not deserve. He's giving it to us. We did not do anything to deserve it. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. Old Testament saints, for what was revealed to them, their faithfulness to God and seeking to follow, not just in outward appearance, but from the heart, those people were saved by grace. We certainly, having had a full knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done on behalf, certainly when we come to faith in that revealed revelation, that is when someone comes to saving knowledge of Christ. We receive God's grace at that point in time. And I'm trusting the majority of people in this room today understand the nature of grace, that you didn't do anything to deserve it. It is God working in you. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. So certainly faith is a component. But it says that it's not of yourselves. It is not a work. And this is, this is going to flow right into our, our study of Galatians. But throughout church history, people have struggled to keep grace and works in a healthy relationship. Uh, some people will say that you have to, like I in, uh, basically was mentioning earlier, that works lead to the giving of God's grace. Well, if I'm a good person, God will give me his grace. And that's not the way it works. That's not grace then. You, you, you think you've earned it. Some people believe that there is a relationship between grace and then works that have to be added to grace. That's kind of the context that we're going to be in with Galatians. Uh, and some, some people believe all kinds of different variations of this. But for in Ephesians 2.10, we're given the answer. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's the relationship. The proper understanding of the relationship is that as God's creation, we have been created in Christ Jesus. There's his grace. We have come to faith. Not anything we can We could never have known the name of Jesus Christ without God first telling us his name in Scripture. I could never have known who Jesus Christ was apart from his written word, his spoken word. I had to somehow know the name of Jesus, and it's only revealed to us in the New Testament. And, and Paul says to the Ephesians, we're his workmanship. Christians, we're his workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus. That's, an, that's an, a work of grace. But we have been created in, uh, by Christ, in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works, right? Grace always precedes good works. Remember, Jesus was asked, you know, good teacher, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. He was trying to make a point. Truly good things are truly anchored in who God is. And so we can say God's grace always precedes good works because the only good works are those that are uh, moved by God. It says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our life is a living testimony of God working, of God saying, I have each one of you is walking your faith. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have this true of you. And, and we, are called, we are called to live this out 
in a way that glorifies God, and that'll be much of what we're talking about today. But some of the Galatians were confused about this relationship. And there's a reason they were confused. It's because false teachers were telling them that certain works were necessary in addition to grace for salvation. They did not realize the absurdity of what they were saying, and Paul was calling them out. And he wasn't just calling them out. He's trying to wake up the Galatian Christians to understand you have come to a genuine faith. Don't be confused by these people. Don't continue to fall under their influence. And then there were certainly those within the church that were probably not genuine believers. They had not come to faith, but they were, they were, they were either learning or they were initiated, uh, just initiates into, you know, they haven't made the final decision yet one way or the other, but they're also being told by these false teachers, there's grace and then there's works on top of that grace to make one right with God. Paul has been saying throughout the letter of Galatians, justification, being declared righteous before God, is all of faith. It's faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone, right? It's, it's all those things that we have already talked about. But nonetheless, the false teachers of their day are still in the world today. They will just spin this in any number of ways that somehow there's some work that has to be added to the grace of God. Paul has already been saying since, since chapter 1, if you believe in any act or work or anything beyond the grace of God or in addition to the grace of God, you are believing in a different gospel, a false gospel. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate. Some of the Galatians were tempted to adopt the teachings of the false teachers. That's why you sense the urgency in Paul's voice. They've already adopted, he's already told us that they are observing days and festivals and, and weeks and all these different things, right? The Old Testament was full of it, uh, full of all those designated things that they were supposed to do. It was all tied to observance of the law, the Mosaic law. And, and certainly the, the, the pagan Galatians, right, the non-Jewish Galatians, they had their own feasts and all those things, and Paul was addressing all that, but he's saying, listen, you know, you've already bought into a little bit. And by the way, folks, this is a little wisdom speaking here. Uh, there are cults out there. There are different groups out there that will, that will, they will ease you into following them. They will tell you a little bit. That sounds, sounds right, right? And then they will add a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And by the time that you have adopted all or, or, or someone adopts all those things, you're, you're in a different gospel. Uh, they will tell you line upon line, precept upon precept. And so they, they will not tell you the whole story. They'll only tell you enough to get you hooked. That's kind of what's going on here, all right? The Galatians were tempted to adopt the teachings of the false teachers. They were observing the calendar things. Seems kind of insignificant, maybe not, maybe not a big thing. But they're going to build upon that as we go forward. They failed to understand that they were on the road to bondage, not freedom. And folks, that is the road that many in our circles of influence are on. They're on the road to bondage. They're either fully in bondage because they've never come to faith in Christ and they do not understand that they are under the, the penalty of, of, um, uh, of, the, of what the law describes right? They, they do not know. They don't necessarily know what the law is, but they do certainly do not know the freedom that uh, Christ has given them beyond the law. 
right? So well, I got to keep going here. So as we get into verses uh, one through six, only verses we're going to share. Um, if you weren't here at the very beginning, some of you weren't. Uh, we had an announcement shared at the very beginning that I wanted to give time to. Uh, and for those of you that are uh, maybe I know what I'm talking about at the end of the service, uh, I'll explain a little bit more about that. But um, so we're just going to look at the first six verses of Galatians five, and as we do so, we're going to be we're going to start off where we finished last week or the last time we were in Galatians, which was stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Stand fast. This idea of stand fast is, is just that. Don't move, right? It's, it's actually the idea of don't waver. Do not be shaken. Be confident. Stay put. These are not actually word-for-word translations, but it's getting across the meaning of what Paul is saying. I'm going to draw upon the word confidence, Are you confident in your faith in Christ? Are you confident to walk out these doors and live the way God has called you to live? He's saying, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. We're supposed to not waver, to stand fast, to be confident in the liberty. The word the there helps us understand that, that Paul is writing about a very specific liberty, not the concept of liberty. Now, in Paul's day, I would probably say this was more clear than it is to us. I don't think it was uh, the, the significant, I mean, there was certainly significance to the word the in, in, the, in, the, in the context he was speaking and writing in. But I'll say for our world, we, we live in a world, especially our American world, where, where liberty is one of those things that's thrown out all the time. And, and we tend to look at liberty from the standpoint of of. of how we live in comparison to other nations. Uh, we look at other nations and say, you know, uh, boy, they don't have the freedoms we have. We're a nation founded on liberty. And certainly, and, and, and that's all true. But Paul is not talking about physical freedom here. He's not talking about physical liberty. He's talking about spiritual liberty, Christian liberty. Even when we hear the term Christian liberty, we often tend to go, oh, we're going to talk about this, right? Well, let's be, that's in this text, by the way. It's in Galatians 5 as we're talking about Christian liberty and what to do and what not to do. But, but as we talk here, let's just identify that the liberty that's on Paul's heart and mind is a liberty that is uh, very unique, very specific. So what specific liberty is he writing about? Well, the liberty that Jesus Christ provides, it's not a liberty that can be earned. It says, uh, notice that statement, the liberty that Jesus Christ provides and no human uh, can obtain through effort. We are able to, to obtain our own liberty uh, physically. Uh, maybe, I would say even maybe nationally. Uh, I would say that's, our, that's part of our history, right? We have this liberty. Uh, we, we, we are fond of saying that freedom is not free, and we recognize the cost that's been paid for our national freedom, for our physical freedom that we have today. But as Paul's thinking about spiritual liberties, Christian liberty, he's saying the liberty that we need to understand fully is this liberty that is only found in and through Jesus Christ. It's provided for us. I think one of the stark realities of, of this liberty that we're talking about is it's not fragile. Have you ever considered the fragile nature of the liberty that we have in this nation? Uh, You just go and read any many novels, many movies. Well, there'll be some threat to our liberty as a nation. Uh, For a while there, it was always North Korea 
little North Korea that was going to somehow throw over, overthrow the whole United States, right? I mean, uh, you pick a movie, it's out there. But it's like, but what, what they draw upon is the fear that we have of losing this liberty that we celebrate as Americans. I think we'd be naive to think that we can't lose it. I think it's fully possible we could lose it um, through, I would call it, say, the evil actions of others, right? But the, that's not the liberty we're talking about. We're talking about the liberty that's in Christ. And so something wondrous has been given to every Christian. And so in Paul's day, there were believers and unbelievers in the same room. I have to believe that in our room, there are believers and unbelievers in the room at whatever age, for whatever reason. But the reality is something wondrous has been given to every Christian. And that is this spiritual freedom. We have been given freedom in Christ. And Paul says that if this freedom has been given, then bondage must have been a past reality. I don't know if you think of yourself as having ever been in bondage, but I do ask you to consider. We're talking about spiritual bondage. Many people will say you've got to get someone lost before they can get saved. It's somehow getting them to recognize that in their life, maybe they've had a wonderful life. And they have a hard time understanding that they're a sinner. And that somehow that they are not viewed as, as right as righteous in God's eyes. No, the, the reality is the pre-existing condition of every person is bondage to sin and its consequences. It's a universal truth. We are all in bondage to sin prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So the cure which frees us from bondage to sin and its consequences is the grace of God of which so much of the world is confused about, grace and works. Christians are to live confidently in the freedom Christ has graced them with. This is the challenge that I will give you now. I will be referencing in a sense as we go through the remainder of, the, of this sermon. But folks, listen, we, when we walk out these doors, we have something that the world does not understand, and many Christians do not understand. But we have something that we're supposed to walk confidently in. Those confident answers to the questions and I'm not trying to be mean, but they could have been more confident. They could have been. We are to live with our yeses being yes and our noes being no and just say, no, this is the way it is. We're not supposed to live arrogantly. We're not supposed to live pridefully. We're supposed to live confidently. And I will say that confidence is a humble confidence of what God has done on our behalf. We are to live confidently in the freedom Christ has graced us with. So we're going to look at nine reasons we can have confidence in our Christian freedom. Now, don't let that large number, nine is a large number for me, all right? Uh, we're going to move through this rather quickly because there's only a few verses. But let's look at the reasons that we can have confidence in our Christian freedom. First of all, we can be confident in our Christian freedom because faith in Christ overcomes all forms of spiritual bondage. The reality is in this room we have people from different nations, different backgrounds, ethnicities, religious backgrounds, whatever. And, if, and, and for those believers in Jesus Christ, Christ has overcome all those things. For me as a white, middle-class American Catholic, right, God met me in my sin and redeemed me. 
wherever you're from, whatever, whatever you would describe your life prior to Christ, God has met you there. And faith in Christ, the essential aspect of, of, of what we believe, coming to faith in Christ, it overcame all your spiritual bondage. And if you are here this morning and you are sensing that you are under some form of spiritual bondage, maybe it's a religiosity, maybe you have a very high view of yourself and you belong to just the right church that does just the right things to earn your favor with God. Well, we've already, already stated that's not sufficient. You may be coming out of straight paganism. You may be coming out, out from a religious background. You may be coming out of, of, of literal slavery. You may be coming out of any number of things, but faith in Christ overcomes them all. And when we walk out that door, we can stand in confidence in Christ. It's the only confidence we should have. Paul says, don't boast in yourself. Boast in the Lord. We, we can boast in Him. We can praise Him. We can live in such a way where we say, no, we are Christians. And my faith is based in what Christ has done on my behalf and nothing else. So faith in Christ overcomes all forms of spiritual bondage. That's the second part of verse 1. He says, stand fast, therefore, in this liberty, this freedom by which Christ has made us free. I'm sorry. It is Christ's work. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. This entanglement is, is the idea for the Galatians. It was, it was going back. It was turning back to something that the, the Jews thought would, uh, would have caught, made them to be right with God. It was turning to the law, right? And, and these, these false teachers are trying to draw these people, pagan and former Jews, they're trying to draw them back and saying, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's grace, but it's also observance of the law. He's saying, listen, don't do it. Don't be entangled with those things. It is a yoke of bondage. When you are under a yoke, if you can picture two beasts of burden holding, having a yoke upon them, and we're not supposed to be unequally yoked. There's another uh, picture there. But it's the idea animals are pulling, and that weight is pulling them. And if someone pulls them this way, the yoke makes them go this way. And if it pulls them this way, the yoke goes, they have to go this way. It is, they're not free. They go where the yoke tells them to go. And Paul is saying very clearly, you have been created in Christ for freedom. Don't be entangled with the past. Don't be entangled with those things that will never lead you to freedom and will never allow you to live out the freedom that you have in Christ. He secondly says that we can be confident in our freedom of Christ because Christ plus works is a losing proposition. Paul is laying this out before. He's not mincing words with the Galatians. These false uh, teachers are trying to uh, woo them and call them out. He's like, listen, you go that way. It's a losing proposition. None of us likes to be part of a losing proposition. He says, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, there's the key. I've mentioned circumcision in the past, but this is actually, I think, the first time in, in the letter that Paul actually calls it out. We've been kind of leaning forward uh, to draw upon us. But he's saying, listen, you've already kind of practiced the calendar things. Now they're asking you to get circumcised, which is a sign of the old covenant. He says, I say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. They're like, well, that should get their attention, by the way, because the, the false teachers are saying grace plus works 
Yeah, they, it's not that they're not preaching Jesus Christ in some fashion. They're just not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, if you go the direction these people are wooing you to, Christ will profit you nothing. It is a losing proposition. Many of us in our day and age, we are so focused on our retirement. We are so focused on on making right decisions with our finances to either get us to retirement or, honestly, to get us to the end of the week or the end of the month. None of us would knowingly put our money at jeopardy. Why would we put our, our, our spiritual eternity at risk, right? Well, that's spiritual and physical, for that matter. But listen, we're, we're talking here. These are, these are high stakes, for those believers, they are being influenced. Later on in the text, he's going to say there's a certain level of confidence that Christ has, excuse me, that he has, that they will see things his way. And he's trusting not in their understanding as much as the work of the Holy Spirit in them. But there's also people who would legitimately not have not come to faith. And, and, they, and they have to understand, if you observe the dates on the calendar and you practice and you, and you go through all the way through circumcision, you think you're doing right and that somehow this is making God happy. He's like, it, it profits you nothing. It's meaningless. Thirdly, we see that Christ plus works is a never-ending obligation. Bad news gets worse. Not only have you put your, all your money at jeopardy, but uh, he says here, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. This, this particular verse is packed heavy. Uh, he says, I testify again. It's either referencing the testimony he just gave in the prior verse, or it's, testi- it's testifying to something he told them in, in some other correspondence, or it's both. But either way, he has just said it, and he's saying it for emphasis without a doubt. I testify every man who becomes circumcised, because these people were th- considering this, he is not only is it not going to be profitable, he's in a debtor. Not only are you not going to earn anything, you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life. And the end result will be for eternity. Because Christ plus works is a never-ending obligation. Why is it never-ending? Because he's referencing the law. And not just the celebration of days and weeks. And not just circumcision. Paul is saying, if you're going to put your trust and confidence in the law, you gotta, you got to do it all. But we know no one can keep the whole law. He's already made that truth. He's saying the law serves a function. That function of the law is to show you that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you cannot stand before God righteous and holy because you observed the law. Because if you've broken one little part, you've broken all of it. He's been telling him that the answer is The gospel, it's Jesus Christ, what he did. He fulfilled the law. And I'm telling you, if you're going to go back, if you're going to try and go back, it is a losing proposition. It is a never-ending obligation. You will have to do this your entire life. Next, he says, Christ plus works is a denial of God's grace. The bad news just keeps getting worse. What do you mean I'm denying God's grace? I've come to faith in Christ. I'm all about Christ. Christ died for me. I I just was considering observing some of these days just in case. It's kind of the way I looked at it at one point in time when I was a, uh, well, actually, 
I don't know how much I, I joke about this, and I shouldn't, uh, but I have heard other people joke about it, and, and I don't think they are joking. It's the idea, well, I got baptized as a baby, uh, and I got baptized as an adult. I figure either way, I'm good. You know, I got all my bases covered, and that's, that's wrong thinking uh, because if you look at baptism as a work of salvation, that doesn't, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's an expression of your salvation. It's a picture of your salvation. But for, for, a, for a Christian to deny the God's grace, that's how I got saved. I, I, I misunderstood Paul. I'm frightened, Paul. I, I, I don't want to be this person. I want to walk out of here with confidence in my freedom that I have in Christ. He's saying, listen, don't deny God's grace because you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. This is frightening news, but consider for a moment those who have are the false teachers, right? Paul is addressing them, and he's saying, listen, where they're leading you and where you have chosen to lead others, you are saying that uh, uh, you're trying to be justified by the law? He's saying there's consequences to that. First consequence is you're estranged from Christ. Uh, the picture I choose to, to use to help you understand this this is not teaching that a person loses their salvation. I want to be very clear. You have become estranged from Christ. You have fallen from grace. People have often come to the conclusion that this is saying people can lose their salvation. Paul's not talking about losing salvation. It's not any part of this letter. He's trying to get them to understand what they have in Christ. And he's saying, if you become estranged from Christ, it's like a, a child being estranged from their parents. The relationship of parent to child has not changed one bit. But there is no healthy relationship that is going on right now. They are separated. It's the idea, it says you have fallen from grace. The idea there is that you've fallen away from it. You were trusting in grace, but because you're, you're buying into this influence of these false teachers, you're turning your back on grace. You haven't lost it. You're just not living in it. And that's essential for us to understand because we are called to live in this freedom that is graced to us. It is something we have the full rights and privileges to exercise because it was given to us by God. And he's saying, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. Paul is separating himself and the other genuine Christians from these false teachers and from those that are uh, falsely believing what they are teaching. So the freedom granted by Christ is all of grace. And I, and I hope that, if nothing else becomes clear, I hope, I hope that one is uh, today. So be confident in your freedom in Christ because the Christian's confidence, this is another reason we can be confident, the Christian's confidence is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not up to you. Be free in the freedom that God has given you. Live freely in the, in the liberty that God has given you. But you're doing this not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. He says, for we... Again, all the Christians, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, this particular is a small verse, but we're going to, I think, get like three or four principles or reasons out of this. For we, through the Spirit. This is uh, Paul calling into account that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are called to rely upon 
the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we walk out these doors, we are not called to live out our faith in our flesh. Called to live it out in the confidence of the Holy Spirit. He indwells all genuine believers. He, in, he enlightens us. He illumines, he illumines us to the, to the truths of Scripture. And He empowers us to, to, to do all the work that has been appointed beforehand. Ephesians 2.10. For we through the Spirit. So Paul is just saying the Christian's confidence is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we generate on our own. He says, secondly, the Christian's confidence is always looking to the future. This is beautiful because, as he, as he says here, we, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait. Think of something that you eagerly wait for. It may be opening presents at Christmas or your birthday. It may be uh, 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 going to, um, where did we go yesterday for ice cream? Brewster's. Maybe you're eagerly awaiting going to Brewster's to get ice cream, right? I mean, it's frigid outside, and we got ice cream yesterday. It was wonderful, okay? Highly recommend it. I don't know what you eagerly wait for, but just think about the joys that you might eagerly wait for in this life. Now think eternally. For we, through the Spirit, the Spirit isn't going to lead us to just enjoy ice cream and enjoy uh, physical presence. We, through the Spirit, eagerly wait. We're not, we're not told what we're waiting for yet, but we are, we are in the the position of waiting for something. And when you're waiting for something, it is yet future. So, so the Christian's confidence is always looking to the future. When you walk out these doors today and you decide, I desire to live confidently in the freedom that I have as a Christian, part of that confidence is looking forward and knowing God wins. Victory is won. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's all forward thinking. But he gets more specific. He says, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait. Wait for what? Wait for the hope. You were introduced to the liberty. Be introduced to the hope. The Christian's confidence is anchored in a specific hope. The word in English, the word hope, always has this idea of possibility, uh, doubt. You know, I am hoping for something. That is not the intent in Scripture, and many of you know this is to be true. When we talk about faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, he's not talking about genuine faith, the possibility of hope, and, you know, and this love thing. No, it's all in confidence in Christ. Hope is the confident expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. It's confidence. That word hope means confidence. That's why I'm drawing upon the term confidence here. We have a hope in Christ that is guaranteed because of who He is and what He has done and the promises that He has made. We are children of promise. We are not children of the law. We are children of promise. All that is true. And the Christian's confidence is anchored in a very specific hope. And, and, he, and, he, and he spells it out. Uh, and, and It's anchored in their righteousness which comes by faith. This future-oriented hope is that there is a righteousness which comes by faith. This future-oriented righteousness. We have the righteousness now in our position before God. We have been declared righteous. We are righteous. If you're a Christian, 
Christ has, has redeemed you. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You, if God looks down on you, uh, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been put onto your account, that has paid for all your sins. But it is still forward-looking in the sense that we don't, we don't experientially have it yet. That, that is coming. That's that hope, that expectant hope, that we are actually going to experientially stand in the presence of God righteous. And I don't know about you, but I would never have thought that under my prior understanding that I needed to somehow do good works to stand before God righteous. And even then, I had doubts galore that that would ever be possible. And I was anchored to that until I experienced the freedom that comes in Christ. But a Christian's confidence is anchored in the righteousness which comes by faith. When you walk out of here, you can know positionally you are righteous before God. Now, Paul's going to deal with Christian liberty and, how, and what not to do with that liberty. All right, We'll get there. But I'm just saying as you go out today, walk confidently in humble appreciation for what God has done and saying, I'm going to live according to God's word and I'm going to do things God's way for his glory because the work of the Holy Spirit is working in me to do that. And then lastly, we see a Christian's confidence is evidenced by their ability to love like Jesus. I'm, I'm using this term, terminology specific. This is the last one. I'm using this specifically because when we went through the, the, the study of 1 John, we, we theme the year as love like Jesus. And we still mean it. It's not something that, well, that was last year's theme. This year I'm going to not do that. No, you, you, we are always called to love. And Paul even makes this point very clear and strongly. He says, our confidence, it's evidenced by our ability to love others. There is never a time where we are not called to love every other human being on the on this planet if you think you can somehow you know dodge loving someone all right get on your knees and repent because you are never ever to not love the way jesus would love would could you imagine jesus ever not loving someone and if you can't imagine that then then you are not allowed to do it either and neither am i Right? He says in verse 6, For in Christ, talking to Christians, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Prior to Christ, circumcision was a, was a sign of the old covenant. We get that. But in Christ, new covenant, circumcision, no circumcision. It avails nothing. It has no purpose or meaning in the new covenant. All it can do is draw you to some observance of old, of, of the law, which wasn't going to save you. It was just going point, to point you to your need of salvation. It avails you nothing. But notice what he says there. But, big contrastive word there, for in Christ Jesus, right, faith works through love. What, what avails? What accomplishes? What is powerful? What can, what, can, what can actually work out in life? If I, if I want to know who I am in Christ, if we want to say, I want to have confidence in my freedom in Christ when I leave the doors today, the Christian's confidence is evidenced by our ability to love like Jesus. Faith working through love. 
the, media, the, 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 the act of loving others demonstrates not only to the world that you are a child of God, it demonstrates to you you're a child of God. You know there are people in this world that are not loved. They are, they are shunned. They are pushed to the side. They are ignored. And you know when that breaks your heart, and you know that when you are uh, in their presence and you, you, you just sense something moving you to somehow meet their need, whether it be physical or spiritual, to, to extend to them a kind word, to, to somehow do something for their benefit because you are motivated by the fact that they are created in the image of God. When you, believers, are motivated to love, it is an outworking of your faith. It can be done no other way. There's all kinds of people out there that will love others by meeting needs. I get that. That that is not what we're saying here. We're saying just because someone does nice things does not mean they are in Christ. But if we are in Christ, we are not trusting in the kind deeds. We We are responding to God's love by doing the kind deeds that he has prepared for us beforehand to do. Ephesians 2.10. So we are called as Christians to have confidence in all these different ways. And I don't know what might resonate with you in, in, in sense of, of, of this. And we're, and we're going to build on this. This is halfway through this section. All right, we're going to go through the rest of the section next week. But I believe that there is a, a need for Christians to live confidently in our world. And I'm, my, my hope is that we will be those people. That we will recognize all that we have in Christ. And we will, we will be like Paul and start looking for those around us that are being swayed and persuaded by, by people who have, have, uh, are, are teaching a false gospel. And we're going to step in there and we're going to say, no, you have, l- let me explain it to you more fully as... Uh, Priscilla and Aquila did for Apollos, right? Let, let, me, let me tell you about the way of Jesus more fully. That's who we are called to be. And we can be, we can live this way because of what Christ has done on our behalf. If you're trusting in anything else, it's a false gospel. Don't add anything to what Christ has done. His grace is amazing and His grace is able to change your life. So as we close in prayer uh, right now, before we sing, let me just encourage you to appreciate the grace that you have and to seek to live in this confidence that we're called to live in. Father, I pray that you'd be pleased with the heart response of your people. I thank you for these words uh, of Paul as he's pleading with these people. They're heading to a place that will end in poverty it'll end in debt for eternity it will bring them where they do not want to go for Christians it will lead them in a life that will not be evidenced by the working of the Holy Spirit and so Father I pray that as as we come before you today that we would humble ourselves And acknowledge that your grace is all that we depend upon.
And we acknowledge that it's faith in Jesus that is essential for our experience of your grace. Lord, I, I thank you for your love for us, and I pray, Lord, that as we respond to this word, we would leave this place loving others, but also just living freely in the way you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.